You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. It's been proven that Low self-esteem, which is a poor self-image, produces poor performance and sometimes even produces destructive behavior. And I think at one point in our lives, if not maybe even right now, we're dealing with poor self-image. Maybe it's from a, a critical mother. Maybe it's from an absent father. Maybe it's from an overly competitive sibling. Maybe it's simply from your peers. Poor self-image even translates differently between the sexes. Now, let me tell you, for some reason, I, I subscribe to a few magazines, one of them being Time, and the others are typically just kind of Christian journals, articles, magazines, and like that. And weirdly, for some reason, uh, maybe about twice a year, I get a woman's magazine. It slips through. I didn't subscribe to them. And they're usually, 99% of the time, they're, it's the motherhood magazine, okay? So I don't know what's going on, if someone's trying to play a trick on me, or if my wife's only, like, used my name or something like that. But I'll get that, and I actually get, like, even uh, a fitness one, too. And let me just say this. Just, ladies, based on the cover of these magazines, I am so sorry that all your lives you've been pummeled with this kind of trash, I got to say, if you look at a guy's fitness magazine, it'll say, love handles, that's okay, you're still hot. But for women, it's like, toned body, bikini ready, here's how to do more. It's crazy. It's it's this huge double standard. So get this, the world tells guys, even if you're not hot, tell yourself you're hot. While the message to women is, even if you are hot, You're not that hot. It's crazy. So to all the men out there who have directly or indirectly perpetuated these harmful words, tell a sister next to you, you're beautiful. (laughs) It's silent. (laughs) You guys are bad. (laughs) Ladies, you're beautiful. Come on, guys. Say it like you mean it. (laughs) Ladies, say, Lord, have mercy. Now, here's the thing. I can't get too upset over these magazines because to them, that's the world's answer to a poor self-image. And their claims are endless. Everything is tied in with self-esteem, isn't it? If you buy your children a certain name brand clothing, it'll boost their self-esteem. If you, uh, you, know, if you do martial arts, it'll, I've even, look, Jesse does jujitsu, okay? If, if he hasn't already told you about it. <laughs> he does Martial arts, but here's the thing, if you look up other martial arts classes, taekwondo, karate, jiu-jitsu, things like that, one of the big selling points of theirs is that martial arts will not only just help you in terms of your health, things like that, but it'll build self-esteem. And they direct it towards children, they'll build self-esteem in your children. Not only that, you know, especially for me as a man growing older and fatter, I'm always looking for shortcuts to lose weight. And so if you look at, like, articles and stuff, you always come across, and I came across this one ad for green tea herbal diet drops or pills. And it'll, it'll help you lose weight. 
lose those unwanted pounds in your body, and it'll, it said it'll boost your mind and body. In other words, that it'll help build up your self-esteem. It'll clear some stuff up or whatever. And here's the kicker. And I've also recently found out about this too. But there seems to be a revolution or maybe an evolution in education today where there's no longer a politically correct or conducive way to correct a child. That is no, to say a child and the, and the answers that they give, that if it's wrong, that it's politically incorrect and it will not help the development of them if you tell them that their spelling or their math answers are wrong. Can you believe that? If they are wrong, you don't say, hey, David, it's wrong. Instead, you say it was an expression of their creative feelings. Like in math. In math. I had no idea you can be creatively wrong. If that was the case in my day, I'd be a creative genius. But look, there are reasonable answers when it comes to poor self-image. We know that. I know I, I, know I poke fun of exercising and, and stuff like that. And as someone who's trying to get back into it, it certainly does help you. It gives you energy. It, gives you, it clears your head. But for the most part, our culture of building self-esteem typically involves some sort of diet of self centeredness. And I think that's destructive. This afternoon we've come to a text, even though it may not mention anything about self-image or self-worth, it still provides a real solution to such things, the truth of ourselves from our creator God. And so really I just have one point for us to reflect on today, and that is God created you to reflect his image. Can you say amen to that? Now, I want to read the text again just real quick, verse 26 and 27, okay? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In contrast to the way Everyone else is seeking significance, which is, by the way, focusing on self, which is what I think, what I want, what satisfies me. Did you hear what God said here in that verse? Look, I know we've read this verse and we've heard it many times before, and we have the tendency to kind of gloss on over it. But, the, but this account of the sixth day of creation, it gives us some sort of indication that something special is happening. Something special, something truly unique is happening. Now, for every day of creation, the account began with, and God said, let there be. But here we read something different. It says, then God said, let us make. Get this. God, God's commanding has now become God consulting. And John Calvin, he says this in his commentary. Follow me. This is the highest honor with which he has dignified us. For God is not now first beginning to consider what form he will give man or with what endowments will be fitting to adorn him, nor is he pausing as over a work of difficulty, but for the purpose of commending to our attention the dignity of our nature. But that's not he's saying, he's saying, taking counsel concerning the creation of man testifies that God is about to undertake something great and wonderful. When he says, let us make. When God made you, it wasn't just, I'm just making you. I'm just thinking of you. I'm just creating you. No, he was undertaking something complex, something great, something wonderful. Say that to your neighbor. You're great and wonderful. 
In the other day's accounts, everything was made, each according to its kind. But when it came to man, God said, let us make him in our image. Something has changed, people. Something important is happening. Because the word create is different from the word formed or made or separated. The word used create is found in three places. First, in verse 1, when God created everything out of nothing. Secondly, in verse 21. And then thirdly, in verse 27, when God created man. And it was this verse that God said the word creation or create three times. And as if that wasn't enough of an emphasis to us, God, he repeats this entire verse, verse 27, again in chapter 5, three times. He said created, created, created. Let me give you a little tip when it comes to Bible reading. When something is repeated, it's important. It is important. Really important because here it's like as if God is putting exclamation points to indicate I'm doing something special. I'm doing something unique. Not like the other days, not like the other things. I'm doing something great and something wonderful about concerning the creation of you. What is that special something then? This is it. He created us to reflect his image. Turn to your neighbor and say, to reflect his image. Look, we're image bearers of God. What, what does that even mean? Like, I know people today, for some reason, have a hard time differentiating the worth of people into that of animals. They'll say that, look, look, animals and us, we're all the same. We're on the same platform. We were both created on the sixth day. We all eat the same things for food. And we're all sent in this life, in this world, to reproduce and fill the earth. And sure, that's why we're the same. And that may sound similar. But mankind is unique in that we, and only we, bear the image of God. Like, I love my doggy. He's, I mean, I, I've, my dad gave him a human name, Stephen. <laughs> but he does not have the image of God stamped upon him. Only I do. You do. In Psalms 8, we're told that man is made a little lower than the angels and that the flocks and the herds and the beasts and the birds and the, and the, and the things under man's, they're all under man's feet. But note that God said a little lower than angels, not a little higher than beasts. So here are a few points to consider in terms of what it means to be made in God's image. First, we possess the attributes of personality like God does. This means God, he possesses intellect and so do we. God has feelings and emotions and so do we. God has a will and he makes choices and so do we. But secondly, we have morality. I'm talking about moral freedom and responsibility. This means that we have the capacity to recognize what is right and what is wrong, and we have the freedom to choose between them, and we have the responsibility for the moral consequences, implications of our choices. But lastly, the image of God means that we possess spirituality. We're spirit. Nothing else can say that. We're spirit. We possess spirituality, which means that, that man, and only man, can have, can make communion with God. You know what I do sometimes with my dog? I'm sorry I bring up my dog so many times. But I train him to hold back before he eats his food. And sometimes I'll just say, and Lord, we thank you for this food. Amen. And then he'll eat his food. Does that mean he's actually praying to God, the creator? No, he's not. He cannot commune 
with God. We can commune. Why? Because we possess the image of God. The Lord is spirit. And guess what? We also in spirit can communicate and commune with him. Amen? Only mankind possesses a spirit. We were created to reflect his image. Now let me tell you, you know Michael Vick? Of course you know Michael Vick. The first quarterback to rush 1,000 yards in his season. He, by the way, during that season, he didn't have the greatest season. I think he was like 7 and 9. But a lot of people saw potential in him. Wow, look at his arm. He's so strong. Look how fast he is. They, they said he had a bright future. And so along with his NFL salary and his endorsement deals with Rawlings Sports and Nike and other companies, in 2006, he brought in over $26 million dollars. But then in 2007, the very next year, Michael Vick was broke and he was in prison for dogfighting. And his estimated total in loss was around 142 million and 50 million in loss in endorsements. Because apparently, Rawlings and Nike, they did not want to be represented by someone with his reputation. When you represent someone, everything you do reflects on that person. God created humanity to represent him and ultimately declare his glory. The command to be fruitful and multiply, it wasn't just some funny, yeah, go ahead and procreate for the sake of procreation. It was God's very specific command to spread his glory as his image bearers to the ends of the earth by using your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Do you get that? You know, our first missionaries should be our children. The greatest impact that you can make upon your neighbor and kids, the kids in your neighborhood, are through your children. Take note, parents, that our calling as parents and future parents isn't to equip them to just be the best doctor or the best lawyer. It's to equip them to be the most faithful and obedient servants of God who will declare the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen? That's our call. But sadly, many of us, many times, we're failing not only with the call to be fruitful, but with the call to be his image bearer. Because we fail every time we allow ourselves to look self-centeredly rather than Christ-centered. We fail every time we allow society and culture to dictate who we are and how we should be. But though it may seem like we fail all the time, failure is never the end of the story for those who bear God's image in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, the Son of God, is in the business of restoring what has been ruined and what we have ruined. You see, we have a distorted image of ourselves as image bearers. Last week, well, actually, last, yesterday was Ada's birthday, but we celebrated the week before, so we invited all the children of the EM. So those of you guys who don't have children, we're sorry. But it was to those who had children, we invite all the children of EM to a playhouse filled with inflatable slides and bouncy castles. Let me tell you, I have a video of the parents having more fun than the kids. It was hilarious. I saw Michelle doing basketball with my wife, and, and they're going at it. It was hilarious. And by the way, about five, six years ago, PJ and Nancy's son, Jaden, was the only EM child. It's It's amazing. And now, by God's grace, I was counting, we have about 23 23 children of the EM, fruitful, multiplying indeed. <laughs> Apart from our members growing closer to the Lord, one of my greatest joys is seeing our members get married to one another and creating families. So if you're interested in someone here, please stop at my office for prayer. All right. That's besides the point. 
Anyways, at that birthday party, along with the bounty castles, there was also a carnival mirror. And it was funny to see the kids there stand in front, and they just got a kick out of their distorted images. Short would look tall, tall would look short, faces would get distorted, bodies would stretch out of proportion. And it's all fun and games when it happens then, but what happens when, it, when that view persists every day of our lives? That's what sin has done. Sin has caused us to live in a world of carnival mirrors that distort who we are and distorts our image of God within us. Nothing else in this world has God's image stamped upon them. So when we start looking outside of God, we get nothing but a distorted reflection. And our distortion, which is from sin, becomes a distortion when we allow our lives to to be given up for ownership from something or someone other than God. Let me say this. Who made you? Who owns you? Does your company own you? Do your diplomas own you? You know, a toothbrush costs, what, two, five bucks? Maybe you can get a real cheap one for 99 cents. How much would you pay for a used toothbrush? I know it's gross. Probably nothing. But what if a toothbrush that was once owned and used by Alexander the Great? Still gross. But in auction, it would probably fetch for thousands of dollars. Or how much would you pay for fake pearls? This is directed more towards the ladies. Guys, I wouldn't buy even real ones, really. But for, pay, for fake pearls, you'd pay, what, 20, 30 bucks? 100 tops? But what if they were, it was owned by Jackie Onassis Kennedy? Well, guess what? Her fake pearls fetched for $200,000 at auction. How much for a piece of sheet music? Music that you could play on the piano. You could download a sheet music from online and print it on your computer, close for nothing yet. An original autographed piece by Beethoven went for $1.5 million in auction. What's my point? The toothbrush was used. The pearls were fake. The sheet music was just a piece of paper. They weren't valuable because of what they were. No. They had no intrinsic value or worth, but they were only valuable only because of who owned them. And the Bible says the same thing about us. We have value only because of who owns us. Because God has made us in his image. You see, we are owned by God because we were made in the image of God. You cannot receive value from another thing or an accomplishment or a person because everything else in this God-created world is created and has been ascribed value, has been given value, but cannot give us value. And there are a lot of people here who still don't understand that truth, so they, they don't look to God for self-worth. They don't look to God for value and for importance. They look everywhere but God. In fact, many times we get caught up in our own reflection. We try to create our own value, don't we? It reminds me of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. These guys, they did a lot of holy things, right? Any seasoned Christian believer would say, wow, these are deeply spiritual people. I mean, these guys, they fasted often. They prayed regularly. They went to church or temple all day. They tithed religiously. And yet Matthew 23, despite all those amazing spiritual disciplines that they have committed to, Jesus Christ still condemned them. Condemned them. Because their image, their worth was based upon their righteousness and not God's. 
Now, whether you're taking your image from culture or like the Pharisees, maybe we're just caught up in our own personal reflection, our own assessment of our value. We're called today, either way, to look upon God because we bear not your image, not that image, not his image, but God's image. And our lives ought to reflect his glory. But hear me out. There are traps that people can easily get snared into. People like you and me, Christian people, people who have been going to church. Maybe you don't care about what Cosmos says or you never felt pressured by your coworkers or your family members to be this or to do that. But I think we're all still capable of getting caught up in our own reflection. And it looks like this. First of all, don't look at the church as a place where others should change. When you're here, you're here for you. You get that? You're here for you, not your wife. You're not here for your boyfriend. You're not here for anyone else but for you. It's here that you get to look into your own life. It's here that you get to look at your own sins and then look upon God's goodness of his grace and forgiveness. Secondly, we fall into the trap of wanting to be seen. When we're focused on our image, we want to make sure that we've been seen and we keep trying to prove ourselves that we're better than other people. I remember a recent quote I heard, I think it's by A.W. Tozer. He said, stop comparing yourself with other people. Start comparing yourself with the word of God. Thirdly, we fall into the trap of wanting to gain a reputation. There's a temptation to seek power, position, respect, or whatever in the church. Like I've heard men, I've literally heard men arguing about with each other and trying to even coerce the pastor to elect them as elders. Little do they realize that to be an elder means that they're called to pray constantly, that they're called to be the most humble, that they're called to be witness to suffering, that they're called, uh, they're, they're called to watch for the spiritual well-being of the flock. They're called to devote themselves to the word of God. Essentially, elders are called to be peacemakers, prayer warriors, teachers, and leaders by example. But some have sought after this position for power and prestige. This includes pastors and preachers too. Look, it's tough out there because we're constantly comparing ourselves with each other. We're constantly taking what the culture says we should do and how we should look like. We're burdened by friends and families who pressure us into fitting some sort of mold. What does being an image bearer of God mean then? How is it possible for us in any way to resemble and to represent God in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all this confusion, in the midst of all this chaos? How in the world can I glorify God this way? Well, I have good news, people. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God. God, who made man in his image, has now come in human flesh, taking upon himself, get this, the image of man. And there in human flesh, he showed us the glory that you and I, we lost. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The Son uh, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the image of the invisible God. You see, in human flesh, as the perfect man, God the Son gave his life on the cross to free us from this dominion of darkness and to free us and to liberate us from the slavery of sin, of images, values, values and worth found in the world that nothing else and that all these things try to take over in our lives, things that try to bind us, but you know what? It was Christ who took on man's image to pay the debt we owe, the debt of death from our slavery to sin. You see, without Christ, you would have no choice but to be bound by what the world says. 
but to be bound by what your flesh desires. You would have no choice. You would be a slave to sin, and that would be the rest of your life. But Christ, he took it. He paid for it. And so God, pleased with his son, Jesus, he raised him from the dead, who is now glorified and is, is a perfect image bearer. So what are we called to do? What are we called to be? Well, the original glory, get this, the original glory in which God created you and I to live in can now become a reality in Christ Jesus. Before Christ, you could not glorify his name. You could do nothing to promote the glory of God. Our original design as God's creation, as his Imago Dei, was that we were meant to glorify him, to live for him, to breathe him, to do everything for him and him only. But sin came and that stopped. Our purpose was halted. Our design was scrapped. But in Christ Jesus, that can now become a reality. Without Jesus, we will fall short. Our purpose will fall short. Our satisfaction will fall short. Our joy will fall short. Our worth and our identity will fall short apart from Christ. You see, the most amazing part of where we find our image actually has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Christ. We got to stop looking for it in that or for in her or in that marriage or in that fulfillment or in that adventure. We can't do it because it's not up to us to fulfill God's original glorious plan. The good news here is that despite our fallen state as people who continually look elsewhere to find their value and worth, the good news is that Jesus came to restore us with him, to bring us back to glory, and to give us back the status that we have lost so that once again we can truly reflect the image of our God to the unbelieving world and that the way that we are originally designed to do. So yes, we may struggle at times about our image. But at least we now have the confidence to turn back to Jesus. You see that every time you are confused and you're perplexed and you're thinking, what am I, who am I, what am I doing? You can now have the confidence to say, Jesus, who am I? And the question will be, whose am I? He is the answer to our situation. Do you believe that? It's not more work. It's not more money. It's not a better marriage. It's not more fulfilling life, more adventures that our hearts long for. No, Jesus is what our hearts actually long for. Some, and we just have a hard time sometimes wrapping our minds around that. Jesus is what our hearts actually long for because he is the only one who can bring restoration to our weary hearts. No matter how successful or accomplished you are, only Jesus is the hope for significance today, significance tomorrow, and security forever. And look, our role and purpose can't be defined by us because now in Christ we understand our place in the universe, that we're not in the center of it, that the world does not revolve around us, that life isn't about us, but instead that my purpose in life is to be a part of God's purpose. So what does that mean to be an image bearer of God? It means that we were created to enjoy and to know God by reflecting his glory. But yes, you and I, we messed up that holy calling, and yet God lovingly acted to redeem and restore us in Christ Jesus. Until you find your image to be in Christ, 
Looking everywhere else will only give you a distorted view of who you are and what you're meant to be. It's only looking into the eyes of Christ that you see the clearest reflection of who you are. So come to him today. If you are a Christian, maybe you've been just falling away from him, come back to him today and find your peace in the restorer of our souls, the one who died for us, the one who rose from the dead for us, and the one who redeemed the image of God within us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you created us in your image, that we are creating your image. Lord, I pray that you would help us see the reflection of your greatness and your beauty and your purpose in our lives. Keep us from the distractions of the world that are constantly trying to repurpose us, redefine us. But we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us and you will be the one, O Spirit, to sustain us and to ensure that that divine imprint remains in our lives. So Lord, we just pray simply that the reflection of you, Father, the reflection of your Son, the reflection of the Holy Spirit will be reflected in all that I am and all that we do. Maybe we're battling still with the identity and our purpose. Why are we even here in this big world? Bring us back to you, Jesus, for there can be no other way. There is nothing else in this world that can offer us any semblance of truth or direction. If anything, everywhere else we go and everything we look into will just show us a dead end. But Jesus is in you who reinstate that original plan in us, that original purpose to glorify you, for we were created in your image. And not in the image of the world, but in you, Lord. Brothers and sisters, can I give you guys a moment to pray now as we prepare ourselves for the last song? Prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds. Maybe you've been searching elsewhere. Maybe you've been looking in other things. Maybe today is the day, this moment is the moment where you give your life to the Lord and say, God, you made me. I am made for a divine call, greater purpose. But that purpose can only be known if I have you, Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray.